I'm Chris Hagen. For those who don't know, I've been a language coach for many years. In my career, I've taught a wide variety of people from famous singers and radio presenters to doctors, uni students, and yes, even desperate housewives trying to find an English lover. I finally decided to share my thoughts, tips and tricks with the world. Also check out my YouTube channel if you want to see my ugly mush. So let's kick off this podcast with a great jingle. Doesn't matter where you are, in the car or at the bar. Is an anagram of risk. Chris, I think I'm gonna sneeze. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next podcast. Did you like my introduction? It's very nice. Now in today's podcast, we're going to have a telephone call to see if you understand. And we're going to look at the difference between two verbs which everybody says, I know the difference, but then they don't. Also, we're going to look at some medical phrasal verbs and also some British food because British food is the best. Now, these podcasts are to help you improve your comprehension. Also, to learn something every now and again, because even if you're a native English speaker, you don't know everything. You might think you do, but you don't. I just learned the fact that peanuts grow underground. Seriously? And I learned that you can't just put matte paint over the top of gloss paint. It doesn't work. Instead, the white becomes blue. Maybe just my walls. Only mine. Now, before we start, I want to say a special hello to the person in Sandwick in the Shetland Isles who's listening to my podcast. Hi! How many people are in the Shetland Isles? Now, as you heard at the end of the last podcast, in this podcast, I'm not going to call my mother. I'm giving her a break for once. I'm going to call a woman who has been in my life almost as long as my parents. Her name is Pat and she lives in Manchester, in Denton. Now when Pat and I start chewing the fat, we can't stop. And so I've actually just taken out one section of the call for you to listen to. What do you want? What do you want? What's the situation like for you and your husband, Bernard? Um, it's not very good because um, we can't go out because um, if you, well, one, if you're over 70, um, you're supposed to, you're supposed to stay in, although you can go for one walk a day, provided you, uh, you know, you keep the two metre distance. If you've got underlying issues, which Bernard has, um, he's got COPD, he's not really supposed to go out at all. So that means I don't like to go out because if I go out and I catch anything, I I am uh, relatively, uh, well, relatively uh, sure that I would come through it. I might suffer for two weeks, but I think I'd come through it. But if I passed it on to him, who knows? You know, mm. I think it could be, I think it could be critical to say the least. Is everybody there wearing a mask? Not everyone, by any means. I don't actually. Um, I went. Uh, no, well, I don't. I don't really think I need to. Bernard always does. I don't really think that I need to, unless I uh, I go in the supermarket. Like at first, when we couldn't get us, we, we was hard to get a slot at first on the supermarket deliverer. When I went in the supermarket, Bernard stayed in the car, but I didn't feel very safe in the supermarket because I felt that people. Were, were all talking for a start. I did wear a mask, but people were they, were they were walking by the side of you, they were leaning over. I just mm. felt like it was a trolley around the supermarket. So luckily, I've got a recurring slot at the Sasser every week. Um, I don't know about Italy, um, but here, baking 
product like flour, caster sugar, icing sugar, very hard to get hold of. I kind of got out of the habit of baking, but I started doing it because it was something to do. And then you couldn't get flour in it, but I, I have said, I've said for it, a massive big bag of flour. <laughs> so that lasts me for ages. How many crisps. cheese and onion pies are you going to make? Well, exactly. I can make a few with that. As long as they don't run out of cheese. <laughs> but it's been oh, mainly yeah. baking because everybody's baking because they've got nothing to do. They can't go anywhere. So, you know, every, on Facebook every day, everyone's cakes are on, you know. So how difficult was it for you to understand Pat? On a scale of 1 to 10, 12. Now, if you remember, at the end of the last podcast, you heard a little clip of Pat talking to me on the telephone. And she actually said about being fat, but she wasn't calling me fat. She was saying that all these cakes that people are baking these days, we're all going to end up like balloons. And all these cakes that you keep posting on Facebook, Instagram and all this social media, stop it. Unless we can taste it, don't tease us. Now, we all know when you go abroad, the best thing to do is to try the local cuisine. Many English people, especially people I know, when they come to the country where I am, like Italy, or if we go on holiday together, they never want to look for the food from the city that we're in. They're always looking for English food. They're always looking for chicken and chips or fish and chips. Now, to be honest, I also do the same thing. Every time I'm in Tokyo, I take my friends to Marlin's Fish and Chips in Roppongi because they are very, very good. And Marlin is the name of the Jewish immigrant who invented fish and chips. And as you can imagine, if the shop is named after the guy who invented the thing, it must be good. But trust me, there is a lot more to British food than fish and chips. Have you never tried Spotted Dick? I don't actually like Spotted Dick. It's a British pudding that's made with suet and dried fruit. The bit I do like is that it's often served with custard, and custard is the best thing ever. It's the only thing I like better than chocolate. So if you've never tried Spotted Dick, I suggest getting your hands on one the next time you go to the UK and try it. And let me know if you like it. It's definitely an acquired taste. Now let's have a look at some more British food. The first thing I want to take a look at is steak and kidney pie. Now in the UK we eat a lot of pies. Who ate all the pies? I did. I like cheese and onion pie. As you heard in the chat I had with Pat. The chat I had with Pat. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. So steak and kidney pie is basically a pie with steak and kidney. Kidney, I think, is normally from lamb. Don't know. I'm pescatarian, so I don't eat meat. But after that, I want to talk about a nice dessert. Our desserts in the UK are nice and wet. We like wet things. All this dry stuff that you can build a wall with, I'm not interested in. I want to talk about Eaton Mess, which is basically like a mix of meringue, the soft meringue that doesn't break your teeth, some berries and cream. The cream is really good. Apparently, this dish was first served at Eton College back in the late 19th century. I say apparently because I wasn't there, and if I didn't see it with my own eyes, I don't know. Now, this next thing is called a Cornish pasty. Cornish because it comes from Cornwall. You all know where Cornwall is. Have any of you been? Very nice. A Cornish pasty is normally pastry stuffed full of meat and vegetables, but you can also get vegetarian versions. I've seen something similar in Italy, but I don't know what it's called. It's like a half moon shape and inside it's all stuffed with food. But you can get cheese and onion ones, like a cheese and onion pie. Now then, yes, it is called the Cornish pasty, but you can get it anywhere in the UK. Also frozen. If you're in the freezer, in Asda or Tesco or Sainsbury's or Morrison's, wherever you go, also check out Aunt Bessie's Yorkshire puddings. They're delicious. Now this next dish I want to talk about has two names when we talk about the meat versions, because obviously there is also a vegetarian version. Don't know if there's a vegan version. I'm talking about the good old shepherd's pie or cottage pie. 
Now the name depends on what meat is used inside. Now as shepherds only herd sheep, shepherd's pie is the one which uses minced lamb with potatoes. If they use beef, we change the name to cottage pie. Now I've not had a shepherd's pie or a cottage pie for a very long time, but I've just actually realized there's potato mixed inside the minced meat and also on the top because we cover the meat mixture with a layer of mashed potato normally and then you put it in the oven and you cook it and when it's cooking the top of the mashed potato becomes nice and crispy now the last one i don't need to tell anybody about it because you all should know but it's probably the best thing we have in the uk a fry up a good full english breakfast eggs bacon sausages beans toast tomatoes sometimes even that disgusting black pudding blood sausage and you can get this everywhere in England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. I'm sure you've all tried it at some point in your life, but do this. Go and try a vegetarian version. Two, three, four. Some grammar, some grammar, some grammar. Let's all go about some grammar, some grammar, some grammar. Now I want to start this off by saying nobody is perfect. Even yesterday I had to correct something that my father wrote in English because it was wrong. He made a mistake. The difference is when an English person makes a mistake, nobody corrects us because they think, ah, well, you're the English one. Most English people probably make more mistakes than foreign people who are studying English because you study grammar perfectly with your teachers. At school in the UK, grammar is taught quite badly. When I was at school, I don't actually remember studying grammar perfectly or even studying grammar. I did it later on in life because we just speak. But because we just speak, sometimes we make mistakes. Also, foreign people make mistakes. Some of my students who are advanced level, who are literally C2 level, who have passed proficiency exam level of Cambridge, still make mistakes. It's normal to make a mistake. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. So one thing I want to look at that some of my students still make mistakes on, even though they know the difference, is when to use the verb to say and when to use the verb to tell. Now, as I'm sure you all know, we use the verb say with direct speech. Thomas said, good afternoon. So with direct speech, we use say. And with reported speech, we use both say and tell. The meaning might be the same, but the grammar is different. An easy way to remember when to use each is to remember that you say something, but you tell someone something. For example, not Thomas told he would come to my party, but Thomas said he would come to my party. And not Thomas said me, he would come to my party, but Thomas told me he would come to my party. With say, we sometimes use say plus two. For example, Jenny said to me that she might be late. Sam said to Matthew that he lost his bike. But remember, we cannot use say or tell when we are talking about reported questions. We don't say, Sam told Matthew, can I borrow your bike? We say, Sam asked Matthew if he could borrow his bike. Helen told Robert, can I use your phone? Is wrong. Helen asked Robert if she could use his phone. So a quick summary is, say with direct speech, but say and tell with reported speech. But the easiest way to remember is you say something, but you tell someone something. I personally don't like it when I hear someone saying, Jenny said to me, I prefer Jenny told me. But sometimes we do use this say plus two, like I said before, even if I think it sounds horrible. But I didn't invent English. 
Now we also have some fixed phrases with the verb tell. Us Brits, we love our fixed phrases. Tell the time, tell the future, tell someone the truth, tell someone a lie, tell someone a story, tell someone a joke. Now to finish off, I want to tell you another use of the verb to tell. We use this verb also when we want to say that we can understand something by observation. For example, when you enter an office and see the person you want to talk to under a mountain of work, you can say, I can tell you are busy, so I will come back later. I can tell you're busy because you're under a mountain of work. I can see the piles of paper in front of you. You stressed out your hands are holding your head up and you look like you're about to burst into tears. And so I can tell you're busy. I'll come back later. Also, when you see two people and they look similar, I can tell they're brothers. How can you tell? They look like each other. Can you tell the difference between a crocodile and an alligator? One will see you in a while and one will see you later. Say it! Now, going back to the telephone conversation that I had with Pat, she said she was relatively sure that she would come through it. What did she mean? She meant that she was sure that she would survive or deal with the illness. So if she got COVID-19, she thinks that, well, she's relatively sure that she would come through it on the other side. She would end up being okay, even if she got COVID-19. Now, there are many phrasal verbs in English connected to medical things. And maybe you've heard them and not actually understood exactly what they mean. So let's have a look at some. Now, let's start off with a nice one. I hope you've not all just eaten. But this first one is to throw up. Now, to throw, you all know. You all know how to throw a ball and you all know how to catch one. But to throw up means what? To throw up means to vomit. Okay, you can also say bring up as well. I'm bringing up my food, I'm throwing up my food, the same thing, vomiting. So I was throwing up all night long. My head was down the toilet all night, basically. Now the next one, to puff up. To puff up means to get bigger, to swell. So if you take some, I don't know. So if you eat something that you're allergic to, your face could puff up or you take some um, medication your face can puff up, it can swell, it can get bigger. Now, if something flares up, it returns, it comes back and is painful again. So you could have a disease or some kind of medical condition that went away, but then all of a sudden it came back again and now you're in pain again and you have the disease again. So you can say it flared up, it came back. Now, burn, we all know burn. So what do you think? to burn up means it means you're very very hot normally because of a fever so if you have a fever you can say i'm burning up uncle jimmy's heart packed up now it doesn't mean that uncle jimmy's heart packed a suitcase and went off to barbados it means that uncle jimmy's heart stopped working so after years of smoking his heart packed up Okay, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if smoking actually causes problems to your heart, but maybe his lungs even. They can pack up. They can stop working. It's nothing to do with going on holiday. It's going on. Well, Uncle Jimmy went on a long holiday, but it was nothing to do with the verb. To shake off. 
Taylor Swift sings a song, Shake It Off. Okay, but shake off means to recover from an illness. So, some people quite easily manage to shake off the flu, and some people can't. Now, the next one, to break out, is very similar to flare up. But flare up is when something returns. Break out is when something starts suddenly without you realising before. You maybe you didn't know you had this problem and then you broke out in a rash. Okay, so you see on your arm, all of a sudden you have sores and irritation. You've broken out in a rash. Now the next one is to pass out. Now in England, on Friday nights and Saturday night, also Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights, many of us pass out after drinking a lot. But okay, we don't only pass out after drinking alcohol. You can pass out also if it's too hot and you can't stand the heat and so you faint and lose consciousness. One of my friends, Emma, many years ago in a nightclub in Nottingham, I think it was in Nottingham or even, no, no, in Leicester, the place where the only shop I saw that night was a religious artifact shop, massive shop full of statues of Jesus. Emma and I, we went to somebody's birthday party in a nightclub and she was stood next to me. She hadn't even drank anything at this point and she just went boom down like a lead balloon she was she passed out not from alcohol from low blood pressure i think now if i put this next one into a sentence i'm sure you'll understand what it means i think i'm coming down with the flu now that doesn't mean i'm coming down from my apartment to the taxi linking arms with the flu it means i think i'm getting sick i think i'm getting the flu so when you start showing symptoms of the flu or something else, you can say, I think I'm coming down with the flu or whatever you think you're getting. Now, after these nine phrasal verbs that I've just spoke about, I think this number 10 is quite appropriate. Let's go back to Uncle Jimmy, whose heart packed up. I can say, Uncle Jimmy's heart packed up and so he passed away last week. Pass away means to die. I'm sure there's many of you out there thinking now, why are we finishing this podcast on a negative note? So let's think of a nice positive expression that means somebody is dead. So as not to change the theme too much. Pushing up daisies. Daisies are the little flowers. You know what they are. Okay, they're little flowers. So if you say someone is pushing up daisies, it means he's buried. He's below the daisies, pushing them up. It's a lot nicer to finish a podcast with an expression about flowers. Doesn't matter where you are, in the car or at the bar Here for you comes in your ears, another word for thanks is cheers Here's the new kid from the block, here for you around the clock Shining all his English tips, Chris Is an anagram of risk Chris